2: Welcome to Rates and Barrels presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Briciroli and Eno Saris. It is Wednesday, October 6th. Good morning to those of you watching us live on YouTube. It is awesome to have you there. Drop your comments in along the way. We'll try to answer as many questions as we can on this episode. We will bury the 2021 Yankees officially actually we'll deliver the eulogy speech the Red Sox buried them last night in the wild card game and then we'll take a look ahead at tonight's matchup between the Cardinals and the Dodgers and time is of the essence today there are ballpark assignments that need to be covered so let's get right to it in that wild card game last night Britt Garrett Cole did not have the Garrett Cole performance that we were all expecting
3: yeah to me that's the story of the game isn't it I I don't know what happened because you watch him for years and years. He was the guy in Houston. You know, I was saying last night to my husband, this is a guy that shouldn't be afraid of the moment. He's pitched in the World Series for Houston. He's pitched in potential elimination games before, and yet he looked overmatched and overwhelmed early. Uh, I thought one of his best pitches probably was striking out Bobby back in I think it was the second inning. Um, You know, he was on the ropes where I thought maybe he wasn't going to make it. You know, I thought maybe they would get believers up even earlier than they did so watching garrett cole hearing him afterwards say he felt sick to his stomach uh, doesn't surprise me but this is what they paid all that money for him to be guys this like top guy the ace on the mound and i think if you're the yankees you have to re-examine you know not just this game but why this game was a microcosm of the yankees success because we have another year that that drought continues right they haven't won since 2009 And you know, I remember I was there in 2009. I was young and chipper and thought that this happened all the time, and uh, clearly (laughs) it hasn't happened again. So, I think if you're the Yankees, you're in a little bit of of panic mode going forward, which you can't always say. We we certainly wouldn't have said it if Boston had lost last night.
2: Yeah, a different sort of mentality for sure. You know, I think the montage that really hammered it home for me after Garrett Cole's early exit last night was on the Nerdcast, at least, I don't know. Maybe they showed it on the regular feed, too, and A-Rod was talking about something that didn't make any sense. But Garrett Cole had no command, couldn't command the fastball. The home run he gave up to Bogarts in the first inning was just an absolute meatball that Bogarts took advantage of. That, to me, is sort of the beginning and the end of the story with Cole, just zero command in a time when he needed it.
0: Yeah, his location was down in uh, September, even though his stuff was still there. Uh, might be related to the hamstring injury. Uh, the changeup certainly was middle-middle to, to Bogarts. I think he was relying on the element of surprise there uh, since he doesn't throw the changeup so much. But Bogarts was probably sitting on the location and was able to adjust to an 89-mile-an-hour uh, pitch there. The Schwarmer pitch, um, ah, man, I don't know, dude. That was 97 miles an hour above the zone. And the only thing I can say is maybe he needed to be another three inches higher, but like it was still, it was not in the strike zone. It was above the zone to a guy who's historically had some issues with the high fastball. I don't know how terrible a pitch that was. The one thing that I will say is he lost a ride after uh, the sticky stuff enforcement. And I looked at some heat maps before and after July 1st, and you can literally see that he used to have a hot zone middle uh, middle 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 but like top of the zone uh, before July and that hot zone slipped to middle middle after uh, the enforcement so uh, whether that was command or the loss of ride um, you know he's spent the second half trying to figure out how to adjust for that he's thrown more other pitches more changeups. ups um, you know he's uh, he's done some other things but I think one thing he needed to do uh, was set his sights higher. If his fastball isn't going to have that ride, then he has to throw it even higher. And so maybe that's what happened with Schwarber. But definitely the command was off. I, I don't want to say that this is like a terrible organization that needs a total revamp um, based on that one start, though. I don't know. Like, it's they still won a lot of games. and What?
3: Not a total revamp. But, you know, they haven't had a World Series win now since 2009. Right. They're the New York Yankees. They haven't even been clo- – it's not like they've been in the World Series and have lost. They're not the Dodgers. They're not the Astros. So I think you can make the case, if they go deep this year, could be called a, a dynasty. Um, they they haven't had success in the early rounds of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So Something is not right. If you can win in the regular season and you can't translate it, I don't know if I think like the blow up everything. I'm not saying Brian Cashman needs to lose his job, but they need to take a long, good, hard, long look at roster construction because they – They were a slow team they weren't a good defensive team and you know they were built with a lot of holes and you saw that during the regular season too so i think you do need to to take a a long hard look at this and say this isn't working what we were doing what we have been doing isn't working Uh, you know a great point about garrett called i'm really glad you brought that up about the sticky stuff i wondered that last night watching that game
0: yeah maybe he just was two inches south of where he needed to be but um, you know, I, I think that what's interesting is that, like the strategies that they're using to to build out the 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 pitching staff would are working for other teams in terms of like we we try to develop from within, but we also augment with older guys on one year contracts. like, like It's sort of what the Rays do, right? You know, they try to build from within, and then they buy, you know, Rich Hill for a season and Charlie Morton for a season. That's the Corey Kluber, you know, uh, the the kind of stuff that the 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 uh, Yankees were doing. Maybe the Yankees just need to be the old Yankees, where they're like, no, no, we're not going to augment with, uh, you know, uh, Corey Kluber. We're going to go out and get the best starting pitcher out there, and we're going to get the best starting pitcher again on the free agent market next year. And we're just going to keep adding and we're going to have a $300 million payroll because we can and we don't care, you know, and there are actually still values out there uh, on the on the free agency market. So, uh, you know, I I really like Luis Heel, and I like some of the guys they've done one one weakness, I would say that they've that that seems to come from their developed pitchers is they seem to be like fastball breaking ball, not great command and not always uh, in like have a great third pitch. Uh, That's that's Luis Severino. That's uh, Luis Heel. That's, you know, a lot of they end up developing a lot of great relievers. But, uh, you know, the next great starting pitcher they develop, uh, depending on how Severino works out, um, you know, that might be their first in a while. So uh, that's something I might look at uh, in terms of player development.
2: Yeah, there's still a lot riding on the health of Luis Severino. I think the big problem for me with the Yankees is they have that high K percentage. Even when their offense is good, they have that elevated K rate. We talked about it with the Rays throughout last postseason. It makes you more feast or famine when mm-hmm. all the chips are on the line in October, when you're facing the league's best pitching staffs. And I think that's a big part of the problem. So I think if, if you're trying to find a fit to make this lineup better it needs to be probably middle infield help and probably a corner outfielder that can bring that k-rate down and there's are available
0: not javi baez you know because that that k-rate will just it'd be another gallo type you know in that lineup i think you're right i think somebody like korea uh or seager would make a lot of sense because they would they bring with them that sort of 18 strikeout rate they'd be one of the guys that would put the ball in play in a big game like this
2: Seeger with the short porch at Yankee Stadium would be an absolute monster. I think that'd be the best fit of all, but certainly there are alternatives. I know Trevor Story is a guy that people always want to link to the Yankees as well. A little more swing and miss in his profile, a little too much of what they have, but still would be an upgrade because I think Gleyber Torres has to move back over to the right side of the infield. Luke Voigt's probably getting traded, but yeah, they're, they're not blowing this team up. This team is going to be... 80% the same. I mean, you still have Gary Sanchez for one more year. You have Aaron Judge for one more year before they reach free agency. I think they're both, I mean, obviously Judge is back, but I think Sanchez comes back again next year, which probably bothers a lot of Yankee fans. We said it yesterday, missing DJ LeMahieu was going to be a bit of an issue for this very reason. So once you get him back healthy next year, it's LeMahieu and Torres on the right side of the infield and probably a Luke Voigt trade. If I had to imagine how that's going to play out, because the way they use Stanton does not really allow them to have Torres. No, they could trade Torres, too. But Torres, LeMahieu, and Voigt can't all coexist in the same lineup with Stanton unless they're going to play Stanton in the outfield a lot more than they have the last few years. I don't think they're going to make a change quite like that. Uh, But we should talk more about the Red Sox just for a moment, because Nathan Ivaldi really was the story in this one. Topped out at 99, had 13 swings and misses, 8 Ks over 5 in a third innings. I mean, this was a fantastic performance for him going up against the Yankees' ace. And I think, Britt, we talked about this a bit yesterday. The model for the Red Sox, if they're going to make a run, has to be similar to what we saw from the Nats just a couple of years ago, where they shorten up that number of pitchers that they use and lean really heavily on six or seven arms to pretty much get them through the entire postseason.
4: They do. And I'm glad you brought up Ivaldi, because I feel like so many people are painting that says Garrett Cole and the Yankees lost and not... Nathan Ivaldi pitched really good. Uh, you know, I think he probably could have gone deeper and he might have if it wasn't like an elimination scenario. You know, I think he was, what, like 71, 72 pitches around there. And I feel like if they weren't in like a, all of a sudden one home run changes the, the whole complexion of that game, they may have even let him go longer. What's really cool about Ivaldi is he was known for so long as that guy in the World Series loss who wins six innings, right? The guy who gave them that length, they gave him an ovation after that game. And now he's got a different place in in playoff lore, you know, in Boston playoff lore. Now he is the guy who won the first wildcard game in Boston Red Sox history. And he really set the tone yesterday because it was only three to nothing when Garrett Cole came out of that game. And it was still very much like a gettable game. Uh, I wasn't listening to the Nerdcast. I was listening to the other telecast in which Alex Rodriguez was very openly rooting for. Yankees so much so that Red Sox fans went absolutely nuts this morning on the radio demanding that they have their own home announcer in the booth next time. Uh, but, you know, it was still a game and Ivaldi went in there and made sure that, you know, the Yankees never really had a chance to get back in and make it you know, three to one, three to two. Um, I-, I thought what he did set the tone for the game more than any other player there. Yes, Garrett Cole uh, fell flat on his face, but nobody expected Ivaldi to be that dominant. He has been good for the Red Sox. He hasn't been dominant until last night.
0: I mean, I, he, I, I don't know if I'm a lot. Li- I, I can't talk about the Cy Young, I guess, because I voted on it. But, like, he was deserving <laughs> of a top five vote in the Cy Young, I'll say. Um, so he had, a, he had a really good season. Um, I'm really surprised, actually, that he threw the fastball 50% of the time last night. Um, you know, his fastball is straight as a string, but he was, uh, touching a hundred. (laughs) So I guess, uh, straight as a string at a hundred still works. Uh, but he, he did a lot of, um, uh, mixing in of the other pitches. And I think it was the sequencing was good. Like there was a lot of times where I was expecting a fastball and here comes a slider. Uh, so I, I think, uh, this is like peaky Ovaldi in a sense. It took a long time to get here. And he, he actually sort of describes, I think the difficulty of developing a starting pitcher, you know, remember all the way back to when he was a Marlin uh, dude through a hundred like he does now, but he just didn't have the other pitches and got knocked around a lot and was always a little bit worse than we expected. Now he's developed the splitter. He's developed the slider. He's developed all these pitches to the point where they're legitimate uh, other weapons for him. And, you know, he can play around with your expectation on, Oh, I'm going to get fastball here. Oh, I'm not. So uh, you know, this is Ivaldi at his best.
2: Yeah, it really is. And for the Red Sox, I mean, Bogarts played really well, had the first inning home run, had the great relay throw on a very questionable send of Aaron Judge. I mean, that was a pivotal moment in the game. It was 3 1 in the top of the six. Carlos Stanton missed a home run over the monster by about five feet. It was pretty close. Yeah. And, you know, it was a, a great relay throw from Bogarts, regardless of whether or not it was a bad send. That was the second out. That really killed some momentum that could have turned into a huge inning for the Yankees. There's a few ways this game changes and they're all kind of centered around that play.
4: Yeah. And judge thought he had a home run in, in I think the first inning too, right? He didn't run at all. And all of a sudden it was just a single. So as we said yesterday, Fenway park played a factor in this game as you knew it would, right? Just it's, it's too quirky and and weird of a ballpark uh, for it to not play a factor. And it, it certainly did in last night's game, though. To me, the Red Sox, again, they earned that win. The Yankees didn't lose that game. The Red Sox won it, and I think that's an important narrative to keep in mind because they, they played really well in all facets, and I don't think they have a chance really against Tampa Bay, but if they're able to have more complete games like that, then I don't know. they could They could at least maybe push it to five.
2: So we didn't really get into this much yesterday. It was on the rundown, and we were having so much fun talking about everything else. I didn't throw it out there, but... Do you think the Rays match up better with the Yankees or the Red Sox? Did this turn out slightly more favorable for the Rays or slightly worse based on how these two teams are built? What do you think, Eno? Um,
0: I think the numbers say that the Red Sox offense was better, especially when they get J.D. Martinez back. Uh, So I think this turned out worse for the Rays just because uh, it's a better offense they're now facing.
2: Yeah, that was that was my thought, too. It was just Boston has a little more balance in the offense, a little less swing and miss. So it makes it more difficult for the Rays to do what they do with their pitching. Again, slightly more uh, challenging, but it should be a good series. They're we'll not facing the
0: same bullpen. And, you know, you know, the Yankees bullpen was really great. So it'll be a slightly different situation with the Rays where uh, they might score more late um, and they just have to find a way to get Chris Sale out of the game to get Ivaldi out of the game. Uh, And to some extent, get Tanner Houck uh, used up because once you use up those three pitchers, everybody else on that Boston staff is pretty hittable.
2: Well, yeah, I think it's going to come down to guys like Garrett Whitlock and Hansel Robles, right? Some of the short relievers that aren't necessarily as dominant when they're good, they're very good. But it's a question, especially with Robles in particular, a guy that had that career year two years ago and has not come close to replicating the walk rate that he had in that career year. To have your season possibly riding on him, like every team has one guy in their bullpen like that. I suggested maybe it's Hunter Strickland now for the Brewers because of the Devin Williams' injury, where if you are rooting for that team, you are nervous as hell watching that guy trying to get critical outs. I would say Robles is probably that guy for me, unless we're throwing Matt Barnes at the conversation. But I, I don't know. I, I think the usage of Matt Barnes is going to surprise us and that we're not going to see him nearly as much as we would have expected to see him
1: back in the first half of the season.
4: But a great game on tap tonight, guys. I'm excited. I hope I can make it up for the entire game. At a really, I'm in Houston at a really early <laughs> flight. For those who are not aware, uh, <laughs> I'm about to head. I thought to the that was an
0: fans. old. I thought that was an old person comment. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, I mean, it could also be an old person comment. Yeah. But uh, really, really looking forward to of, of all the potential like wild card matchups, like a Scherzer Wainwright game. Are you guys excited for this? I think it's gonna be really good.
2: Yeah, it's everything you could want in a wild card matchup. Of course, the Cardinals with their amazing September. I mean, nothing about how they got here really matters at this point, which is pretty wild when you think about it. The Dodgers are minus 225 favorites. That feels like a little too much, but, you know, anything can happen in a game like this. The Cardinals, look, we talked about this maybe two weeks ago. Britt, you pointed this out. This is an elite defense, and... That plays really well in the postseason because if you can steal hits from the other team, if if they can't just beat you with the long ball, that's gonna balance things out quite a bit. And I think the Cardinals, their offensive core really came together in the second half too. Tyler O'Neill ascended to that that next level. Paul Goldschmidt kind of pushed his production back into the direction of Pete Goldschmidt. Even if he's not at that level, he's still a very dangerous hitter. Nolan Arenado, I think, could still do a lot of damage. The secondary options like Tommy Edmond and Harrison Bader and Yadier Molina, they're solid enough as well. So I just think they're a team that, had they found a more balanced track into the playoffs, if they hadn't been so hot in September, we'd probably sleep on them a little bit. I think because they played so well in September, we might be almost overcorrecting and looking at them as a team that's more dangerous than they actually are.
4: Yeah, well, they're also healthy. Like, their lineup wasn't really healthy and functioning until kind of the end of the season. So, you know, are they the 17-game winner? Like, nobody can sustain that pace. But I think they're better than people realized. Even, you know, in August, I think they were just trying to get healthy and waiting to get healthy. And now they are healthy, especially in that lineup. Uh, there's there's some interesting lineup stuff for the Cardinals tonight. I was I was kind of thinking about it on on the plane, actually. So if I'm completely wrong then i would blame the fact that the caffeine hasn't kicked in yet <laughs> you're both staring at me like i'm insane um <laughs> yeah what
0: uh what uh what, you mean like edmond yeah. versus carpenter or um
4: yeah i i felt like i thought there were some like interesting line like because we know with the dodgers that max munsey's out right and we know you mm. might come back so you can kind of the, the dodgers lineup's probably a little more straightforward at this point in time um but i thought with the cardinals there were like some interesting uh decisions that they still had to make in terms of what's going on with that lineup. Who would you start uh, opposite Scherzer, which, you know, Scherzer, Scherzer, Scherzer for a reason, right? There's not too many guys who have great numbers against Scherzer, but I thought for the Cardinals, they had um, a couple interesting decisions to make in the lineup. But again, could be insane. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. I think one one thing that might be a key for them is uh, Wright's best pitch is the curve, and I don't I, I don't know if this is like predictive at all, but I was really kind of surprised to see this because the Dodgers are a good team, but they have this thing called like pitch type values, um, which basically sums up like how good you are against a pitch uh, as a as a team, um, and the Dodgers were twenty seventh in baseball against the curveball this year. Hmm. Uh, I don't That's know. I don't know what that's about. They're they're like top of the line in almost every other pitch. Um and uh they really struggled against the curveball. I, I kind of seeing that I'm almost like tempted to switch my pick. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I don't know. Don't do it. Yeah, I know it's just one little stat. I hate I hate to like, you know, fetishize a stat that's not it's not that predictive because pitches work off each other. So like the curveball is always, you know, going to be harder to hit. You're gonna have worse results on it because it's you're you're hunting fastball and, and you know that sort of deal. But but man, uh you could see Wainwright kind of. What if what what if Wainwright goes like seven or eight? Oh, that's geez. what I
4: mean. I, I think he could. I mean, that's why you can't predict these games because nobody would have thought last night would have happened.
0: Well, I picked the Yankees, man, and I switched. If I switch over to the Cardinals and lose, I don't want to go 0-2. I'm doing these stupid betting picks. Ugh, they're killing me.
4: I mean, I don't know.
0: <laughs>
4: I don't know. Oh, it's um, DeYoung or Sosa. I, I had to look it, it up because it was driving me insane. Yeah. Oh, I want the listeners to this podcast to be like, what is wrong? With <laughs> what, um, t- what
2: time did you have to get up today to get to Houston as early as you did?
4: Uh, 4.30. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I
2: think that that kind of explains it.
4: Yeah. No, but um, Sosa like, versus De Young gonna play, is. Are they going to play Paul Goldschmidt? You guys are like, what?
2: Are yeah. De
0: no, Sosa versus De Young is, is an interesting one just because, uh, you know, I have uh, some belief in, in Paul De Young, but uh, Sosa makes more contact. And so if you just kind of want a guy who'll move the lineup along uh, and maybe get on base at a better clip right now uh, than De Young, who's kind of had a, a struggle bunny kind of a year. Uh, then then I guess you could do that. I, I don't know. I want deyoung's power in there myself. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of projections going forward, they're pretty comparable.
4: Yeah. Thank you, Justin, for the help. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to throw this one at you guys. Struggle Bunny versus Fail Whale. Who
4: like there. <laughs> I, I, Struggle I like Bunny both makes both. it
2: seem like kind of fun
0: fail whale is just like a big old whale dude that's just i mean yeah. fail whale probably describes the actual experience better cuz when you're oh. struggling you don't think of bunnies <laughs>
2: no but you really don't
0: calling it a struggle bunny situation does uh try to make light of it a little bit
2: i actually right. I, I like sosa over uh, i like sosa over deyoung for for the reason that uh, steve Jazul is putting in here it feels like they could use Paul DeYoung to be homer late in the game. Yeah. I think you do want contact against a guy like Scherzer, who's as lights out as he is. You want balls in play. You want oh. chaos. Ben Lindbergh found that
0: uh, that uh, better uh, high contact plays better against high velocity.
2: Uh, so Scherzer does bring good velo. Totally yeah. makes sense to me to go that way. Check this out from SLO Bones 14 He'll <laughs> already pick the cards to win. It is Bull Predictions blog. Well, if you have a Bull Predictions blog, and then you have a gambling article, and then you have a podcast, and you have a Twitter account, you can actually pick both sides twice oh, yeah, and have yeah. any combination of props and hedges That's you That's the key. That's, That's the, the key. hack. That's The, the key hack is to, is to just the make advice.
0: so many predictions that you're always right.
4: This is what he did yesterday. I'm on (laughs) to you. (laughs) You're on to me. Well, You're on to me. (laughs) Derek Aston, he's like, well, I can make a case for both sides and then passed (laughs) it to me and hadn't really picked a side. Um, (laughs) Oh, come on.
0: I mean, the Dodgers are just a prohibitive favorite. Uh, If the the Cardinals win this, it'll be an upset.
4: But here's my question, you guys. If the Cardinals do win, do the Dodgers – I mean, I know they won last year, but it was a 60-game season – do people start wondering, like Dave Roberts, Dodgers? Have they failed here? Is it a massive under? I I, I don't think so either. I you think get, it-
0: you get a little bit of an aura. I think you get you get like a you get a couple years that you can fail afterwards. I mean, uh, are they you know firing people in
2: Washington? Oh, are they?
4: Uh,
2: well, no, no, no major changes. But I, I think the you know, Nats the didn't about-
4: make the World Series and keep losing though. Like it wasn't you know they weren't even supposed to win in nineteen. And they weren't <laughs> favored at all. Uh, but no, you're right. That's fair. Uh, yeah. I was just curious. It does seem to me like the Yankees losing the wild card of all four teams would be under the most scrutiny versus the Dodgers. You know, the Dodgers, it would just be like, well, we should have won the division one more game. And then we would have had five games to decide this. will probably I, be the narrative.
2: I mean, I think the Dodgers, like they're, their overall success right now, they've become the new Yankees. I I said this a couple weeks ago, if you're a young baseball fan, like, we grew up with the Yankees as the team to root against, unless you were a Yankees fan, because they were just so good. That's the Dodgers now. I think in some ways, the Dodgers winning the World Series last year validated the 60-game season, because they deserved to win based on the quality of that team and how good they've been year over year over year. So, I don't know, you know, like, what's your general thought here like are the dodgers a failure if they somehow fall tonight
3: no
4: but you know what i guess are the dodgers a dynasty if they go deep are they already a dynasty Well, it's only they... one title so i think you need more than one title
3: to be a dynasty
0: but they're kind of doing the braves thing where they just like win every year and keep making it and keep making it and you know have one title to go for it were the braves a dynasty this is i'm sorry one of the saddest conversations that a Braves... Like, I grew up a Braves fan. I don't want to talk about it. I consider them a dynasty. I'm sorry. <laughs> In my heart, those Braves were a dynasty. And so if they were, then the uh Dodgers are a dynasty.
2: <laughs> I would agree. I, I think the 90s Braves are a, a dynasty as well because they were always there. And, and it's hard. It's hard to win World Series. And, and I think that's why oh. maybe the... The Yankee Nation is just uh, so frustrated right now because they had so much success for most of their fan base's lifetime that the expectation is we win a title every couple of years because that's how it works. Well, that's actually not how it works for the rest of the league.
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's true.
2: Trevor Nunez is already is also
0: right. Uh, I, I brought this out yesterday, but uh, four out of the last 21 uh, titles have been taken by the team that had the best regular season record.
4: It's crazy. So
2: all right so it's, it's prediction time we've we've heard enos waffling various waffling <laughs> attempts. who's it going to be you know dodgers i'm gonna stick with it the,
0: right. the bold prediction for the cardinals was a bold prediction it was like <laughs> if this happens this is why uh all right what do you think Britt?
4: you know what i'm gonna go cardinals because i was on the cardinals i was already on the bus like a month ago when i got laughed at on this show um I just think anything can happen in a one-game playoff. I think the Dodgers are going to miss Max Muncie's bat a little too much.
2: I better not go 0-2. I'm going to stay on the Dodgers side of this one, but <laughs> we know the rest of the NL is rooting for the Cardinals, regardless of their form to this point. Not having to deal with the Dodgers for the rest of the postseason would be a gift to the rest of the teams trying to win the World Series this year. And I feel bad that I abandoned the Red Sox in. The most critical moment, right? I was the. They were your Sox. They were my. But I was analyzing one game, like you you pick one game based on what you think is going to happen in one game. And as we're all learning, picking one game is uh, is different. It's very difficult. It's an exercise in futility and very humbling sort of experience. And of course, Eno is right, even when he's wrong, (laughs) according
3: to (laughs) Steve G. That's
2: a (laughs) yogiism right there. Uh, That is. That's beautiful. I was looking to see if there's any other comments that really kind of caught my eye, because we're going to sign off here. Try to keep it to 30 minutes most days. Some days we'll hang around a little bit longer. James Rogers, the Yankees didn't make the World Series in the 2010s. The last decade that it happened was the 1910s. <laughs> Understandable. The Yankees <laughs> fans are pissed. That's a long time to go. That's like, crazy. Without having That's a... a in a crazy stat, dude. What? Yeah.
0: It's
2: amazing. I'm like, Imagine being a Padres fan. <laughs> Imagine being a Padres fan, or a Mariners fan, or a Brewers yeah, fan, prior right. to the last you know five years. Like... There are plenty of teams that never, never taste competitive baseball late in the year like this. And uh, Hungry Ghost Festival, Britt's second victory lap if the Cardinals win tonight is going to be God. glorious. I might not be here tomorrow if the Cardinals win.
1: <laughs> Britt might be hosting
2: the stream tomorrow if, uh, if the Cardinals pull it off. I mean, like, like we said, anything's possible. Uh, there was one more question here earlier about the Yankees. We'll, we'll end with this. This one came from Rob. What do you make of Aaron Boone's comments about the league closing the gap? My thought was those comments were out of touch. It was like, dude, the league closed the gap on you guys 10 years ago. Like you haven't had a head start over everybody other than payroll for a long time. You do a lot of things well as an organization, but like what are you saying right now? Like look look at look at the teams around you. Like look at the big market teams like the Dodgers, look at the look at the way Houston and the Rays have been built. Like those teams didn't just catch you. They caught you a few years ago.
4: Yeah. yeah. That's when- how I felt.
2: When when Mark and I wrote the
0: a big piece about about Cashman and his, and his success and w- what he did so well, we outlined a few things that the the Yankees had been innovator, innovators on, and one of them was uh, the stacked bullpen. You know, they actually were doing that before even the Royals were, where they had amazing bullpens. Uh, you know, back back into the beginning of Cashman's career, and uh, uh, yeah that's been caught up. <laughs> like everybody's trying to have the most stacked bullpen they can have. The other thing that yeah. they did kind of early was the high fastball, the high four fastball and the low breaking ball. Well, yeah, dude, everyone's doing that now too, you know, uh, so uh, yeah, and uh, maybe they were out in front on exit velocity in terms of like you know getting guys who hit the ball hard. Yeah, yeah, everyone knows that hitting the ball hard is good now. <laughs> so yeah. they they are kind of looking for that next innovation, and we'll we'll have to see if they if they find something. They they yeah. you know under Matt Blake they've been throwing a lot of change ups. Maybe maybe they'll find something in the change up.
4: I, I mean, I have one more closing thought, and that is after listening to that and seeing how they've played, I wonder. When they're not going to blow up the Yankees team, as we all have discussed. But there's a real chance that Aaron Boone may not be the Yankees manager next year. I think there's a chance. And comments mm-hmm. like that do not help.
0: I, I mean, the, the the fan base has been pretty anti-Boone. I mean, I've been even like there's you know there's always like the reactionary fan is like, oh, they lost, get rid of him. Uh, but I think I've been noticing that even less reactionary fans that uh, they follow on Yankees Twitter have uh, have kind of turned against him. So.
2: I don't know how much of a difference it's going to make changing there, but uh, if it makes you happy, sure. Why not? Uh, last question for the show. Britt, why were you not watching the Nerdcast last night? The day you officially joined Team Nerd, I know <laughs> you You watched the, the A-Rod feed? What happened? <laughs> Did you don't lose your cape- remote? Did Thor eat the remote?
4: <laughs> don't shame me. I, we don't have cable, so the only way I can watch it is on MLB TV.
2: Uh, um, and you don't have the choice the then. O-
4: yeah they only let you watch like the national broadcast
2: yeah they don't have the options for the postseason that, oh, yeah, that's we cut cable. i know well cutting cable is a, well congratulations is a on yeah, that yeah that's a that's a huge w but uh if you take the big l and have to listen to a rod mute uh, <laughs> sap exactly. button i heard you can actually turn off if you have surround sound this is the hack this is the best hack that i saw i think it came from chris towers of cbs if you turn off the center channel on your surround sound. It takes away the announcers, but it keeps the ambient crowd noise and sounds of the game. That is a terrific wow. hack. So it's like a specific like mute the booth button that you can use <laughs> if you're in a situation like Brits and you're just like, hey, you know, I'd like to hear the game. But I don't want to hear A-Rod talking to like a bunch of 10-year-old football players because that's the way he analyzes baseball for some damn reason.
4: Agreed.
2: Totally yeah, I his nails on a chalkboard for me last night. But the Nerdcast, normalize the Nerdcast. shouldn't even be called that. It should just be the broadcast. It's just better. It's flat out better. If you just placed it there starting on Sunday Night Baseball next year, nobody would complain. And people would become better, smarter fans of the game along the way because it wouldn't be complete and utter nonsense. But we need to go before we go i should say make sure you barrel up on that like button if you're watching us on youtube if you didn't watch us on youtube today hit the subscribe button on the channel be notified when we go live we go live at 11:30 a.m eastern each and every morning that's 8:30 a.m if you're on the west coast if you're in the middle of the country you got to figure it out for yourself on twitter she's at brit underscore Giroli. he is at you know saris i am at Derek van Riper. you can get all the great coverage we have of this postseason at the athletic theathletic.com slash rates and barrels gets you 50% off for the first year. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Enjoy tonight's NL Wildcard game. Thanks for listening.